Praise the Lord. Okay, time for God's word this morning. Amen. Let's look to the Lord. Oh, Lord, in the name of Jesus, help us as we study your word. We look to you for guidance, for strength, for truth. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Will you join me in the book of Philippians, chapter 4 and verse 3? Philippians 4, 3. It reads here, And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. What is the book of life? It is a record that God keeps of those who are his children. They're twice born. All human beings are born the first time, but God's children are born a second time. They receive new life from God's Spirit. When they repent, humble themselves before God, ask him for forgiveness, and make a determination to live the rest of their lives for him. We trust when we make this decision of will and surrender that God will send his Holy Spirit into our inner person and give us the second birth. Make us born a second time of the Spirit. Praise God. And God writes our name in the book of life. He also has a book of remembrance in which he records the words that his children speak to each other. So I think uh, the Lord's going to have to start getting the scribes to write a lot faster when we start our home fellowships. Because our church is going to have multiplied conversations going on about Jesus. Praise the Lord. The Lord can handle it. Don't worry. Notice in this verse that there is a repetition of a thought. It says uh, the phrase, true yoke fellow. This This particular sentence is addressed to one of the people in the Philippian church. And he calls this man my true yoke fellow. Then you also see uh, the expression labored with me. And then you also see the word fellow laborers. These three words are sort of thematic in the sentence, referring to a very similar concept. And in fact, the writer is kind of poetic in this verse. If you read it in Greek, you can see that he uses four different words in this verse, not three, but four different words that begin with the Greek prefix, soon. And um, it means with. With. With, with, and with. Four times in the verse. It uses, uh, along with those four identical prefixes, it uses four different roots. But the roots are very similar in meaning, meaning in some sense work. 
So we have repeated four times in this verse, work with. It creates a nice sound in the Greek language. A lot of words in a small space, beginning with the su sound. It gives you the impression of a symphony at work. So I'm going to try my own translation of the verse that will try to capture the idea of the, this repetition that goes on here. Bear with me. It's, it's not going to sound beautiful, and I don't blame any translator for not translating it this way. I ask you, my true partner, to partner with those women who partnered with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and my other partners, whose names are in the book of life. I'm sure it sounds a little silly, partner, 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 but the point is made. The verse is climactic, kind of poetic, very repetitive. Well, I have to admit to you that one of the reasons I began thinking about this verse was the wonderful day we had yesterday here uh, at Living Word Church and, and at Living Word Activities. It was a great day of team. There was a lot of teamwork going on yesterday. Right? A beautiful wedding. It was actually a day of victory in Christ. It was a milestone victory for Jimmy and Anna. Milestone for them and their families. There was a ceremony of singing. Jimmy uh, arranged all the music, practiced. The, he was the conductor of the group. He rehearsed them, said, no, you got to change it a little here, change it a little there. And I, I don't know, I, what were there, 25 or 50 singers back here? <laughs> Jimmy, go for it, bro. But it was really beautiful. Uh, the soul music, loved it. Sister Doby loved it. She sang, she, she danced right down the aisle. There was the teamwork in the banquet hall. Teamwork wherever you looked. In the building yesterday during the wedding. Then the girls played in a sectional championship game. This tiny little school on Court Street Road that doesn't even have a gym that uh, is... It's, our gym is not even allowed to host games because it's so tiny. And our, our team is tiny. Our, I mean, our school is small compared to the schools we compete with. But through teamwork, they accomplish quite a bit. And the boys win a sectional championship game. And believe me, it took a lot of teamwork. It's a good day for Living Word, a lot of great teamwork, a lot of partnering, a lot of working together. It's kind of an art, isn't it? It's beautiful, isn't it? It's beautiful, and it's beautiful to see. Charles Spurgeon said this, an eloquent congregation, congregation will make any preacher eloquent. I love that. And then Charles Spurgeon goes on to say, help me then this morning to the congregation. You, Living Word Church, are very much workers. Are we eloquent? Today I'd like to talk to you about two things. Partnering, our partnership, and partnering in what mission? 
you know, if you're partners, you're working together to get a certain thing done, and I'd like to talk about that mission. I'll give you a little preview of where I'm headed. This verse refers to those women which labored with me in the gospel. In the gospel is a uh, pointer to the mission. What's the gospel? What does the gospel mean? You know, it means good news, right, brothers and sisters? Wow, can the world use some good news? Could we all use some good news? Praise the Lord. News in the sense of news like in a newspaper or news as in published news. I believe, brothers and sisters, there are victories yet to be won by this group. We need to labor in publishing the gospel, amen? To communicate the good news. Here's the good news. We can know God. It's news. We can know God's purpose for our lives. It's news. It's great news. Praise the Lord. We can be saved from both the penalty and the power of sin. Praise God. We can be saved from doubt and the condemnation of death. We're people with a a message. We have a very specific and life-giving message, don't we? Praise the Lord. We're showing ourselves in many ways to be a strong and tight-knit community. When you guys have a food pantry, it runs like clockwork. Because we are a strong, tight-knit community. And we communicate with each other, and we, we accept our roles, and we're not having a lot of uh, conflict of ego. I know there's a little bit. Well, you know, we all have pride. I have pride too. We, we battle with it. We battle with our pride. No doubt about it. Me too. The guy who says, I'm the humblest guy in the world, watch out for him. <laughs> what a nut. We achieve as a community. Our team achieves. That wedding was an achievement. Those volleyball games were achievements. And it's just like weekly and monthly and yearly, achievement upon achievement. We are a tight, high-achieving community. And the, but the achievements by themselves, being a tight-knit community that is high-achieving, doesn't by itself communicate the message. Doesn't by itself communicate the gospel message. You have to be intentional about communicating the gospel message. What we're communicating as a tight-knit, high-achieving community is that there is the presence of a powerful culture within this tightly-knit community. 
that requires commitment and loyalty and knowledge in the group. All right, let me ask you a silly question. What are we, Marines? Are we Marines? The core is also a very impressive, tight-knit, and high-achieving community. The Marines are high-achieving and require commitment and loyalty for the glory of the core. But being Marine, being a Marine, does not necessarily save people's souls, get people into heaven. Why? Because they don't have the message. Individual Marines may have the message, praise the Lord for every single one of them, but as an institution, they don't have the message that Jesus saves. And this is the purpose of God for your life. And they don't have an eternal perspective. Their message is not that Jesus saves. It's not their official message. I've recently, in the last week or two, become a fan of a drum corps called the Top Secret Drum Corps. They're out of Switzerland. I am amazed at their achievements as a drum corps. Wow. I, sh- I had to show a video to my wife. She said, the quality of this video stinks. I said, it's not going to matter. She watched it, and she was like glued to it, saying every few seconds, wow, 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 wow. Trick after trick, incredibly complicated, unified, impressive. They definitely show commitment They definitely show loyalty right down to the movement of their ankles and the expressions on their faces. What precision, what dedication, what unity. I have no idea what their message is, but man, are they fun to watch. Okay, we're not Marines. We're not the top secret drum corps. What a name for a drum corps. I don't get it, but... It's cute. We are the Jesus army. Right, brothers and sisters? But I'll tell you, to the outsider, to the outsider, to the observer, we might as well be the Marines. We might as well be the top-secret drum corps from Switzerland and not even speak their language. In order to get a message across, you have to speak people's language. We have to love, brothers and sisters, those who are not part of our community. We have to bring the unbeliever to faith and the unchurched into the fold. Our uniforms may impress and intimidate, but they may not invite and welcome. Brothers and sisters, we have a message, and our message is our mission. Amen? Paul expresses in his writings many connections to his so-called fellow laborers. 
He mentions many of them by name. In fact, an incredible number of them he mentions by name. How he got to know so many people is just an amazing thing. He mentions them in several of his writings. He includes several of them as co-authors in his writings. I don't know if you ever noticed it, but he mentions Timothy, Silas as co-authors, Silvanus as co-authors of some of his writings, the Apostle Paul does. He clearly did not view himself as alone or working alone. He uses very often the Greek word sunergos, which means a co-laborer, one who works with another. Paul uses the word in seven out of 11 of his writings. It's translated helper, workfellow, laborers together, fellow helper, companion in labor, fellow worker. I remember a great outpouring of this spirit of fellow working, working together in partnership, when a great revival took place within the memory of many of us. It is sometimes called the Jesus Revolution. And it took place in this country in the 60s, late 60s and early 70s of the 20th century. I didn't know if you realize this, but I was actually born in the 20th century. I have to tell you that this Jesus revolution was achieved by a tremendous outpouring of God's Spirit during a very dark time in America. We are in a dark time that is in some ways similar, in some ways different. That dark time, back in the late 60s and early 70s, was very anti-establishment. Assassinations were taking place, alarming the, the whole world. Assassinations of people who, whether you agreed with them or not, whether you lined up with them or not, you have to admit that these people were associated with the hopes of millions of people. They brought hope, hope to a lot of people. John Kennedy, President, John Kennedy. Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, Bobby Kennedy, assassinated within a few years of each other. Assassinated, shot down. These people represented hope to millions of people in this country and in the world. Another thing was going on at the same time, the deaths of many musicians, and in fact, at the same age, at the age of 27 years old, to finally uh, become uh, noted and remembered as the 27 Club. Musicians. There was, during the period, the seeming suicides of movie and music celebrities like Marilyn Monroe, What does it say to people? Marilyn Monroe commits suicide. You might say she she was, uh, you know, a sex symbol in our country, the most dreamed about and sought after woman in the country, maybe in the world. Is it really so painful to be so sought after that you've got to take your life, either accidentally or intentionally? Maybe we could argue the point. It's not really the point this morning. 
She was a broken soul. There were so many aspirations and hopes that died with these people. It was an unprecedented time when many young people were actually trying to dismantle our culture, our, our shared values in our country. It was a divided country. Kids were setting fire to ROTC buildings on college campuses. There were demonstrations everywhere, rock throwing, fires, cars being turned over, the shooting of college students on college campus by National Guardsmen. Unprecedented. I know my, my older brother Victor was a student at Kent State at that time, and he was walking across the campus, and a professor met, that he knew met him and said, Victor, don't go that way. Don't go that way. Where are you headed? Go around. There's nothing but trouble that way. And within minutes, college students were shot down on the campus. There were widespread urban tension in those years and the destructions of neighborhoods and race riots, looting. But out of all of this darkness came forth these joyful, mission-driven, resilient, outspoken, daring followers of Jesus. Hallelujah! How much did they know? Not much. They were too idealistic for sure. Too naive. They made mistakes. They had a lot to learn. But wow, they desired to learn fast. They're hungry to learn all they could. They carried their Bibles, wore them out, marked them up, memorized verses. They were ready to put themselves at the disposal of Jesus to win other people to Christ. They were inspired and they were strong and the Spirit of God used them and there was a great move of God that spread across this country including Lincourt, New York where this house stands today. Praise the Lord. During this period of darkness, There was this amazingly happy people. And they teamed up with one another to win souls. During the 70s, a failed and very questionable military exercise called the Vietnam War couldn't defeat them. A lying president by the name of Richard Nixon couldn't dampen their spirits or dampen their zeal to bring forth truth honestly. A gasoline shortage. Remember that? Rationed gasoline? A gasoline shortage in our world and in our nation could not stop them from going to church four times a week in their jalopies. Runaway inflation. Remember that? couldn't stop them from giving to the church. Scandals couldn't destroy their faith. And many of you here today remember those years and the power of God's Spirit in those years. I want to tell you, my brethren, we can see this outpouring and this empowering once again in this community. Hallelujah. 
It's not that our community is not needy enough yet. We have to turn our zeal and our good spirits and our knowledge outward rather than inward. We must work with those who need a lot of work rather than perfect and enjoy those who need only a little bit of work. We need youthful, joyful courage. One, get right with God yourself. Get right with Him. Get serious with God. You and God. You and the Lord. Clean up your act. Get serious. Get dedicated. Sanctify yourselves under the hand of God. Humble yourself before the Lord. Serve Him with all your might. Get right with God. Number two, pray. Pray your heart out. Pray for revival. Pray for a move of the Spirit. Pray to get close to God. Pray that God have His way. Pray that the Spirit of God invade our lives. Pray and pray and pray. Number three, make yourself totally available to Jesus for winning souls. Make yourself available. Matthew 25, 25. Hallelujah. Make yourself available. Matthew 25, 25, I was afraid and I went and I hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast that is thine. The Lord answered and said unto him, thou wicked and slothful servant. Verse 27, thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers and then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury, it means with interest. There would have been some increase to the money that I left with you. In verse 30, cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. I, get, I want to point out a few lessons in this part of Jesus' parable. One, hiding, hiding is lonely, solitary, and antisocial. Who was with him when he hid his master's money? He was alone. He was alone and he was digging in the earth. God doesn't want us to be alone and digging in the flesh and digging in sin and digging in temptations and digging in the unclean. He doesn't want us on our knees before the unclean all by ourselves. He wants us to be with one another, working together for the betterment of the kingdom of God. Number two, preservation is not profit. The Lord expects profit. Profit reaches beyond preservation. Preservation is a wicked goal. I'm reading here in this, in this uh, parable of Jesus, the hider was a preserver and, and the master calls him wicked and slothful. This is harsh. And I, I don't have any intention or desire to be harsh this morning, but I do want to point out that Jesus is teaching us that preservation is not profit. The Lord expects profit. Increase. Third, I want to point out that the goal of preservation, when you, per, when you pursue a mission of preservation, it can prevent the mission of profit. Right. 
I thought you already said that, Brother Brian. No, I didn't already say that. I already said that preservation is not profit. Don't equate the two. They're two different things. Now I'm saying that the pursuit of preservation is going to hinder the pursuit of profit. Why did the servant hide the treasure in the earth? He didn't want to lose it. It seems so natural to us when we have been given treasure to not want to lose it. It seems like a good goal, except that being protective of the treasure we have can keep us from using the power we have been given to increase, to grow. Four, we can be more dedicated to... I'm going to say something controversial here. I know. I hope you hear me out. Because we sometimes adopt Christian cliches without even thinking about it too much. We can be more dedicated to giving God glory than he wants us to be. The servant was really worried about his master. And what his master would think about him. And what his master would hold him accountable for. And he admits, I was afraid. We seem to want our perfection to give God glory and give him more glory and keep on perfecting ourselves and polishing ourselves to give God more glory. As if the greatest thing we can do in life is to give God glory. Think about that. Can you think about that? What if you have to measure winning a soul to Christ on one side of the scale and giving glory to God on the other side of the scale? I know you're going to say, well, if I win the soul to the Lord, I will give God glory. Amen. That's a good answer. That's right. Winning a soul is one way to give glory to God. All right, then. Let's give glory to God by winning more souls. I want to make some statements about the mission, give God glory, and the mission, winning souls to Christ. God has already waited a long time to get all the glory he deserves. I imagine he's willing to wait a little longer. See how in the parable he goes into a far country. See how Jesus also waited to receive his glory. He finally said in John 17, verse 1, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy son, that thy son may glorify thee. How, well, how about the hour before? The hour had come to, give, to glorify the son and for the son to glorify the father. Well, how about the hour before? The hour before he was waiting. And the hour before, he was working. And the hour before was rather messy. And the hour before was rather confusing sometimes. How be it necessary? I'm going to challenge some of your cliches. What is Jesus referring to here when he says, the hour is come, glorify thy son that thy son may glorify me. I think he's referring to very specific events that were about to take place. The resurrection would glorify Jesus. The time on the earth after his resurrection when he was visiting his disciples 
by ones and twos and tens and five hundreds for a 40-day period. It gave glory to Jesus. His ascension into heaven. There he goes, up through the clouds. That gave glory to Jesus. Him taking his place at the right hand of the throne of God. That gave glory to Jesus. Brother John Lauren read a passage about Jesus receiving great glory in heaven. He's the hero of heaven. But I will tell you, he was not the hero of the earth. Jesus wasn't the hero of the earth. He had to wait for his glory. The Bible says he despised the shame because of the joy that was set before him. What he had to go through wasn't so joyous. Brothers and sisters, I'm encouraging you, asking you, and we have begun a new initiative to have a big church made of little churches. What is their mission? What is the mission of these little churches? To give glory to God? Absolutely. Yes. We'll say yes every time. But even greater than that is to win souls to Jesus Christ, to help unbelievers come to him, to edify the body until the body becomes more mature. Jesus was plotted against, abused, murdered, shamed, disrespected. It was a shame to him, not glory. It was humiliating. It looked like defeat, even to his disciples, as Brother John was telling us this morning. But it did something. It saved souls. The humiliation and the shame saved souls. It was needed to save souls, his body and his blood, to be given by the whip that his back received, blood, by the crown of thorns that was pressed on his head, blood, by the spikes that were driven into his limbs, blood. Am I telling you the truth? Glory? Not yet. Not yet. Shame, pain, humiliation, suffering, disappointment to win souls. And then would come the resurrection, the ascension, the taking his seat, the songs in heaven. And they'll never end. Back in March, I took a series of Wednesday nights beginning in March to explain my manifesto as a pastor. I wanted to get right to work. I spent a lot of Wednesday nights talking about the mission of the church and the mission as it related to many different issues. I talked about secondary issues issues for the church, like making people feel better. We want people to feel better as a result of coming to Christ. We want to save marriages, praise the Lord. We want to unite families. But I presented the primary mission of the church in seven words. Make disciples that follow through into heaven. The secondary uh, uh, missions cannot replace the primary mission. If, for instance, we can call a husband to Christ and it will create a disaster in his marriage, we will do it just the same. 
because the salvation of a soul trumps the salvation of a marriage, the healing of a marriage. Now, if someone, if the husband comes to Christ, I think that the uh, opportunity for his marriage to be healed and, and uh, saved and improved greatly increases, don't you? That's his, that's his chance, I really. You come to Christ, that's your chance. But first things first, come to Jesus Christ. Seven words. Make disciples that follow through into heaven. Nobody stood up and said, I beg to differ, Brother Brian. Our primary mission is to give God glory. I'll tell you, that's what they'll teach you at a lot of seminaries, that the primary mission of the human being is to give God glory. Give Him glory. If people don't like it, tough. Are you with me? I took his proof texts for this mission. John 17, 18, As thou hast sent me into the world, even so, I also sent them into the world. John 20, 21, Then said Jesus to them again, As my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. Did the Father send Jesus here to be glorified? He's born in a manger. They ran to Egypt to save their lives. He was a working man for 30 years of his life, a a no-name, a nobody, ignored. When he finally rose to the surface as as the Son of God, he was despised and shamed and, and looked down on and humiliated. As my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Those were my proof texts for my seven-word statement of the mission of the church. I did not tell you at the time, back in March, that there was a competitor on paper for the primary mission. According to a lot of preachers and churches and denominations, There is a thought that should be the primary mission of every believer in every church. And that is to give glory to God. We work at our church very hard at giving glory to God as we should. As we should. But I decided in my heart that the mission that is even heavier and greater for the church while it is in this world and For the believer, while he is in this world, is to win souls to Christ. I don't believe God is being glorified as he should be until he is healing people, until he is saving people. Amen? And we may have to give up some of our trying to be so perfect, such a team, such a drill team, such a core, such an army, such unity, commitment, and loyalty. Wow, they're impressive. In order to be inviting, in order to be welcoming, in order to reach out, instead of keep fine-tuning what is inside. 
we fine-tune what's inside to give God glory. Amen. Oh, we are quite a team. We're impressive. We achieve. We do things. But we're not doing one thing. Maybe we're not doing the most important thing. Winning souls to Christ. I'm not going to go over that problem again. It hurts me to talk about it. It has been the object of it. Prayer and prayer and tears and tears and anxiety and lost sleep for me. We need to grow. Not just get better, better in-house and celebrate how we're giving God greater glory. We'll give him greater glory when there's more healing taking place in this house. When there's more souls getting delivered in this house. When there's more people headed to heaven because of what's going on in this house. God will get great glory when we do that. Someone said, the church is not to be, I know Brother Don, we're sharing each other's quotes nowadays, you know. He's got his, he, he borrowed my, um, they, don't, they don't care what you know, they want to know that you care. He borrowed that verse. I'll borrow this verse similar to one he shared. The church is not to be a refrigerator for the preservation of perishable piety. It is to be an incubator for hatching out new children of God. And with that, I say, have a wonderful day. In the name of Jesus Christ, may God be with you. Amen. Praise the Lord.